So we are in the book of Matthew right now, and we are continuing this journey in Matthew, but more importantly, we're continuing a journey to where? The cross. That is ultimately where we are, and that's where we're going to go this week and into next Sunday. That's ultimately where we're headed. So we're in the part of Matthew where Jesus is now speaking about prophecies, he's speaking about final warnings, and he's speaking encouragements to people. He's been telling people all along how you get into this kingdom. He's been extending the invitation again and again and again of how to get into the kingdom. You do not enter the kingdom by good works. They don't mean anything. And so I'm just going to relieve you of that responsibility right now. If you have tried to earn your way into heaven, you can stop. It's nothing to do with how good of a person you are and how bad of a person you are. And I know for some of us, it's like, what? You know? Because I've always thought that if I was a good person, I'd go to heaven. I'm going to tell you right now, it has nothing to do with that. So I'm going to relieve you of having to live your life as a good person for the rest of your life. All right? Now, don't just get up and leave right now, right? Because there's a second part of that. And so what Jesus is doing is he's preparing his people for his departure, but his, for his eventual return. And so Dave started this last week, and he started talking about this last week. And so my question to you is, how important do you think it is when Jesus is going to talk about it again? You think it's pretty important? And so Jesus is talking about this. And so what we're going to look at today is what we call these parables of the last days. Each story that Jesus tells is in context to his second coming. And what he's doing is he's delegating responsibilities, saying is, as stewards of this kingdom, here is what I want you to do to care for this kingdom. I'm leaving it in your hands, and the way I'm living is now through you, this kingdom. He's teaching us how do we prepare for his eventual return. He's saying, I will come back. And here's what I'm asking you to do and telling you to do in the meantime. And so what Jesus is doing today, here is the big idea for today, is this. Jesus addresses the cost of indifference in our life. Indifference meaning I have a lack of interest or concern for his return. And he's counting the cost of that. I call this the cost of not caring. What is the cost of us not caring at all? Jesus is showing us what will happen if we live a life of not caring at all. I'm telling you, is we cannot afford to not care. And so that's where we are today. We are in Matthew 25. And so let's just pray. Father, thank you. God, it's, um, sometimes when you open up the Bible, it can be convicting, Lord, but we know that the reason why you convict us is because you love us and you don't want us to stay where we are. You're trying to move us to yourself. Move us to your son, Jesus, Lord. And so we pray today, Lord, that you would speak to us and show us how would you have us respond to what you're saying today, Lord. Don't leave us where we are, Father. And so I lift this in prayer. We lift this in prayer in your name, Jesus. Amen. So Dave ends last week, and one of the big things that Dave said at the end of his sermon in, in Matthew 24 is what? No one knows the day or the hour when Jesus is returning. He himself, Jesus himself said, I don't know this. Only the Father knows. Jesus could return at any 
moment. And so Dave left us off there, and so we pick up there today. And so verse, we're in Matthew 25, this is verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you neither you know neither the day nor the hour. What Jesus is saying is the kingdom of heaven is like ten virgins. So here is, here is sort of the, the scene right here with a, a Jewish wedding. There's three stages. The first one is engagement. That is when a formal agreement is made by the fathers. So that's stage one. Stage two is what they call betrothal. It's a ceremony where mutual promises are then made. And the third is marriage. And so what's happening right here is you've got the bride who is preparing for the bridegroom. And so she's got the ten bridesmaids or bridesmaids with her. They're waiting out for the bridegroom to come with his party. And when they show up, they get their torches with oil. They go outside to meet the groom and escort him in the house. And the reason why they have the torches is because it's so dark during them that they need to see the path. And so that's what happens during a Jewish wedding. And this is the context in which Jesus is saying this. And so now, there were five foolish versions. Why were they foolish? Because they had, didn't have enough what? Oil, right? There were five wise. Why were they wise? Because they brought extra oil because they knew that there was a possibility that he is not going to come when they think he's going to come. And so they have prepared for his coming by bringing extra oil. And so both of them have fallen asleep. And all of a sudden it cries out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And they rush. They get themselves together. They get their torches together. They pour the oil in and they go out. And all of a sudden the five foolish ones are like, we don't have enough. And they looked at the the five wise and said, give us some of your oil. And they say, no, because if I give you my oil, I won't have enough. Go out and get yourself some. And they go to the store. They go to the dealer. They get themselves an oil, and they come back. And what happened? The bridegroom has already come, and the door is already shut. And they say, Lord, open to us. And what does Jesus say? I don't know you. They weren't ready to enter because they didn't have oil. They did not prepare for the coming of the bridegroom. I'm telling you, when the bridegroom arrives, it's going to be too late to get oil. It's going to be too late. Who do you think the bridegroom is in the story? Right? In the Old Testament, oftentimes God refers to himself as the bridegroom and Israel as his bride. And so Jesus is referring to himself as the bridegroom. In the Old Testament, God is referred as the bride or the groom. Then Jesus is referring to himself as who? 
God. It's a pretty bold statement that Jesus is making right here. Remember, all through Matthew, he's trying to show people Jesus is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And Jesus is pronouncing, when I come, it's going to be too late for you to get oil. Oil in the Bible is usually represents what? The Holy Spirit. They didn't have the Holy Spirit when he came. This is why Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus is like, I don't understand this. He was a teacher of the law. He followed the law. He did everything he was supposed to do. And Jesus is like, it doesn't profit you anything. You need to be reborn with the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus is saying. Be ready because it could come at any moment. Be ready. This hit me when I was preparing this sermon because, and I've shared this story with you guys before, is I was living my life and I was like, I will give my life to Christ when I'm like 90 years old, I'm laying on my deathbed, and then I will pray and receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. Let's be honest. Why? Because I was having too much fun. I was. There was no reason. I was having fun, and I wasn't ready to give up the life that I wanted to live. And so I was confronted because it was a death of a friend of mine that woke me up. Not only to the fact that I could be gone today, and I kept hearing this message, and I was like, nope, 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 I didn't want it. But also what Jesus is saying is not just that. Jesus could return at any moment. Are you ready or are you like that person who has to try to go out and get oil because you're not ready? And if you do that, it's going to be too late. Jesus is giving a warning right here. What he's saying is the five virgins with extra oil, they represent believers who have received the free gift of Christ, of salvation, and they are waiting expectantly for him to come back. Be ready. Be ready ready for when he comes. And so the question is, well, then what do we do while I'm waiting? What do I do while I'm waiting? Look at verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He, had received, he who had received five talents went at once and traded with them. And made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. 
But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant to the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is called the parable of talents. A talent is the highest unit of currency during Jesus' time. But it's also where we get the word today when you have a lot of talent, right? What talent literally means is it means an endowment or a special ability. And so what Jesus is saying right here in this parable is there was a wealthy man and he had three servants. He gave one five talents, one two and one one, each according to his ability, seeing what they would do with that. And so when he comes back to make an account for it, the one with five has said, I've invested it here. Here's five more. Here's ten. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. I will set you over much. The one with two takes those two. He invests it. He gets two more. Gives it back to his master. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. I will set you over much. The one with one said, you know what? I knew you to be a hard man. And basically, I don't trust you. And so here, all I did was I just took the one and I hid it because I was afraid of you. That was his excuse for doing nothing at all. He did nothing with the one talent that he was giving. What he was basically saying was, I knew you to be unreasonable and that there was no way to please you, and so I decided I wasn't even going to try. And what he said was, take the one talent from him and give it to him who has much. And he cast them out into the outer darkness. What is he saying right here? What is Jesus seeing is this, is readiness with his resources. You display your readiness on how you invest your resources, how you steward what the Lord has given you. So when Ezra was saying today about the, uh, the word invest, how are you investing what he's given to you? You display your readiness for the kingdom when you invest those into his kingdom. The third servant was wicked and lazy because he was given something and he did nothing with it. He looked at God as being mistrustful. He didn't trust God. He thought he was mean. And he said to him, you're wicked and you're lazy. And he pronounces judgment. So my question to you is, what are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your talents? What are you doing with your finances? What are you doing with your ability? Are you investing those into the kingdom? You see, I was confronted with this very thing, too, because I was happy. I would just go to church. I'd grab my donut. As soon as it was over, I couldn't wait to get out of there. I would bolt out. I invested nothing. Nothing. And what Jesus is saying right here, number one, just because you're investing doesn't save you. Salvation comes from faith. But if I've placed my faith in Jesus, then he should be living his life through me to at least there's a desire to want to serve and do something. What he's saying is, how can you say that Christ is my Savior and you don't want to do anything? Nothing. 
I live for myself. All I do is I take my money. It's all about me. I'm not giving anything. I'm not going to give up my time. I'm sure I'm not going to serve anywhere. I will do absolutely nothing. That's what Jesus is saying right there. And so his question for the one servant is, did you really know me at all? Because you don't want to do anything. In fact, you look at me and be as wicked and harsh. And he's saying, that is not someone who says, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. And so Jesus is saying that right there. How you see God determines what you do. If I am somebody who has not given my life to Christ, I don't want to do anything for God. But if I've given my life to Jesus as my Lord and Savior, there's got to be some desire. I'm not saying it's based upon how much you do. What I'm saying is he was given a talent according to his ability. The one who had more ability was given more, and he made more. But what are you doing with the one that he's giving you? What are you doing with that one? That's what Jesus is saying. So this parable should encourage us, but it also should challenge us, what am I doing with the Lord, what God has invested or blessed me with? How am I investing that at all? Because when you do, there's a great reward for those who do this. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, number one, be ready. Number two, readiness is displayed on how you treat his resources. How you treat he resources. And now we move to the final part where Jesus talks about the final judgment. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a sheep or the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison, and we did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Wow. That's hard. It's hard. But listen to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying is there's going to come a time when I'm like a shepherd. I'm separating the sheep from the goats. One of the things that when Dave was preaching last week was talking about Jesus, he's not going to come like one in the wilderness. They're not going to say, I think the Messiah is here. When he comes, you will know it. It's going to be huge. You will know it. And Jesus is like, I have to judge. What he's saying is those who are sheep will enter into the Father's kingdom. And really, how does he separate the sheep from the goats? He's going to look at their humane treatment of other people. 
Now, understand what I'm saying again. It is not that if I treat people nicely, I get into heaven. What he's saying is, if I am somebody who is received by faith Christ's salvation, then Christ is going to be living through me, and it should be displayed on how I treat people. That's what he's saying right there. And what he's saying is, what you do to other people is like you're doing to me. God is saying is, I am in fellowship with people's sufferings. That when I treat somebody else like that, I'm treating Christ himself. That is how closely linked. That is why on the Damascus road, when he says to Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? When Paul was persecuted, Saul was persecuting the church, Jesus is saying, when you do it to them, you're doing it to me. That's how closely linked Jesus is with them. And he's saying is, how you treat other people is how you treat me. And so our heart is transformed by God's grace and his mercy and how we go and we display that mercy toward other people, doing good to other people. If you've given your life to Christ, it should be displayed on how you treat other people. Listen to what his own disciples say. First John, the apostle John says this. He says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? How do you have stuff and you don't want to share with anybody who doesn't have? Is God living his life through you? And James, his brother, says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is it to say, man, I pray for you, and yet I don't want to do anything. I've got no compassion on people, no humane treatment of people. That's what he's saying. Jesus is saying is, you will display whether you are a sheep or a goat in how you treat other people. Because you'll be treating them the way that he did, and you'll be treating them like you would treat Christ. Now, can goats do nice things? Absolutely. But it's for a totally different motivation. I'm doing a motivation because it's a way for me to worship God. I have been saved by grace, and so I go and I treat people the same way because I've been shown the same by Christ and my salvation and his grace. And what he's saying is the righteous who are the sheep will have eternal life while the other ones will have eternal punishment. Is it hard to preach? It is. But it makes sense when you think about what's about to happen next week. It makes a lot of sense why that happens. And so let me just say this. How do we become ready? How do I become ready for this? How am I ready for this? I'm telling you right now, Jesus is sounding the alarm. Jesus is sounding the alarm. God has to judge. He has to judge. God created us from his love, for his love, and so that we can love. But when you create somebody in your own image, you have to give them the freedom to love. And when they have the freedom to love you, they also have the freedom to do what? to turn away from you. That was the choice before us. We decided we will do life without God, and we disobeyed what he said. And what God's saying is, as a righteous judge, I can't overlook your sin. 
I have to judge it. I have to judge it as a righteous judge. But I love you so much that I don't want to judge you. And so what did he do? He came as a man and he allowed his own punishment and anger and wrath on, his, on the sin on himself. That's what we celebrate next week. That's what the Messiah was doing. He was saving us because the wrath and the punishment that was meant for us doesn't have to be because he took it out on his own son. But God can't force you to take it. He can't make you choose. He can do everything as possible to make you aware for your need for this. Ultimately, the decision comes on you. Jesus Christ meant no words. He came to give his life because God was taking his anger and his wrath on sin on his own son so it didn't have to be you. That's why we have joy because I don't have to face that punishment because his son did it for me. That's the ultimate act of love. That's what Christ did for us. And so if I've been forgiven, how dare I treat you awfully? How dare I make you have to earn your salvation? No, I should be loving other people as if it was Christ himself. This is what we celebrate. That's why the culmination of everything that we do is next Sunday. The culmination of everything we do. You know what breaks my heart the most? You can lay out the gospel for people, and there are still people who are like, no, thank you. Trust me, it's happened. And my heart breaks for whatever reason they have been so conditioned to think that either they have to earn salvation themselves. And the, beauty, the biggest blessing of all is that God, he took it out of our hands and he took the punishment on himself so that we didn't have to. And what he says to you today is, here's the gift, take it. I can't make you take it, take it. I've done this for you, and there's many who will say, no, thank you, because they'll do what I did, which is I'm not ready to stop living my life the way I want to live it. And what Jesus is saying is be ready, because when he returns, there's not enough time to get oil. Be ready, because you could be gone today, and you've heard the message, but you chose to do nothing. This is one of those sermons that's really hard because you know it's really convicting and provoking, but it's one that I needed to hear myself because I never would have turned. Jesus has been saying all along, this is how you get into the kingdom. I'm about to provide a way. Watch what I do next week. That's what we celebrate next week. I want to leave you with this. It was the Apostle Paul. He writes to his letter to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians. He says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We implore you on behalf of those who have been put in this place, on behalf of Jesus, reconcile yourself to God. Jesus is speaking about his second coming and what it means to wait. Be ready with oil. And how do you show you're ready? When you have oil, you'll invest your time wisely into the kingdom. What the Lord has given you, you'll invest into the kingdom. 
and you will love others and do good to others as if it was for Jesus himself. When you do that, now you display that your life is a result of giving my life to Christ and him living his through me. I don't do good works to, to get salvation. I do them as a result of my salvation. That's how you wait. And that's the mark of someone who is truly, truly ready. Let's pray.